I am afraid that I have much news, and most of it is terrible. Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David. All right, and we've been informed that uh, on our recordings, these two are not loud enough. Um, some may some some may choose to put that as I'm too loud, but I choose to view it the other way. Uh, so please uh, let us know if it's better on this recording. I'm going to do what I can to get everyone the same volume. Um, and now uh, other feedback we've had uh, is from Zila from the Discord. And Eniash, I think this one was for you. Yes, uh, Zila, I was talking about the virtue of silence of like just not saying certain things like maybe that uh, the fake vaccines were actually full of actual vaccines when doctors were paid off to give fake vaccines to people. Uh, Zila says the thing about the virtue of silence is that you're effectively lying to people in the deceiving them by selectively not reporting on it kind of sense uh, because you think you know better. If doctors are untrustworthy, I want people to know doctors aren't trustworthy. If vaccines cause side effects, I want people to know vaccines cause side effects, especially if I'm an actor with power over information. Fauci lied about masks, tried to do a paternalism, and people died because of it. And I guess, I mean, okay, all of that is true. I, I cannot argue with any of it in any way. Um, I guess sometimes there's just the case where you really do know better or something, but there's that's vanishingly rare occasions when that is the case, and people just should default against not assuming that they know better so yeah i guess this isn't this isn't like a fate of humanity kind of a uh, thing and i guess staying silent on it would be one of those well i'm not going to report on the things that i don't like in order to distort the information landscape so i i take that as a correction thank you zila and i'm going to call that the litany of brodsky uh which is what if uh, if doctors are untrustworthy, I want people to know doctors are untrustworthy. Oh well, I mean, we already have that litany. Don't need a no, special that's one. No, that's a different one. Well, I mean, it's the same in form. It's I want to know. This is I want other people to know. I just want my litany to be like completely new and unique, not just a rephrasing of a different. I'd, I'd never actually name this one after you because it's uh, <laughs> Zila who said it. Hey, <laughs> there we go. But your name sounds like Tarski, so I thought it was funny. Ah. This is okay. Rhyme-based humor it's, is a thing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's dangerously close to a pun. It is, but it's not actually, so I can't complain. In this thread, Wes says all Eastern European names sound alike. Uh, yeah, he said two sounded alike. It's not all. I mean, they both end in. Speech. Yeah, but yeah, but then it's not a reference to the racism. Oh, okay. We we do like the racisms. <laughs> All you skis are the same. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. And follow up on our story from last episode about uh, Elon Musk and the UN. Uh, if you'll recall, the UN. Good cripes. That was only two weeks ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it the feels UN... like a million years. And yet. Uh, yeah, so the UN, if you'll remember, said uh, they could uh, fight, they could they could end world hunger for six billion dollars, and uh, Elon was like, "Prove it, and I'll give you the money." Um, they have since released a a I'm not going to call it a plan, uh, <laughs> maybe a a framework, a thousand word PDF, <laughs> yes, a couple page PDF about how to fight world hunger for six billion dollars. Um, it will not, in any meaningful sense, end world hunger. It is not a plan, but 
it does cost six billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so they got him there. Yeah. Um, no checkmate, Elon. No word yet from Elon if he's going to be funding this, but I somehow doubt it, since uh, it does not do what it says on the tin. I saw a number of people on Facebook being like, "Hey, look at this, Elon, pay up!" And I was like, "Are you are you kidding me? Did you did you read the thing? Because right, not, uh, this is not ending can- world hunger." I can answer that question for you. No, because people I mean, on the internet don't read things. It's mm. first a list of bullet points is not a plan in any sense at all. But also, like it, it says within that document that there are, I think it was like a hundred million uh, people uh, starving, not starving, hundred million people facing hunger right now, and this plan will stop forty million of them from facing hunger. I'm like, it doesn't even within the own pages do the thing that with the stopping hunger. Are you fucking kidding me? They, yeah. they could have at least lied about the numbers in the little fake document they released, but they didn't even do that. Yeah, well, sad. But again, we are, <laughs> we, we knew we knew how this was going to shake out, and uh, put very little probability mass on the UN actually releasing a plan to solve world hunger for six billion dollars. So there we are. All right, on to the regular news, uh, which I guess we'll start with the one everyone's talking about: Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm-hmm. Not guilty Fam- on all, all right. charges. End of the end of story. Let's move on. Okay, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. No, we owe the people takes. Oh well. well okay. I well, guess that's what the, they're paying for. Well, all the takes on this until now have sucked. So let's see if we can do better. I mean, if all the takes have sucked, that means you have a uh, sucky source of takes. I've seen some good ones. Oh, yeah, like what? You, you, you listen to Blocked and Reported, don't you? Uh, yes, I do actually, and no, also I met, uh, I met David. Oh, yeah, David. Uh, yeah, I do. I thought their takes were pretty bad. Like, really? not as bad as most people's have been, but still not fantastic. Like, uh, like Katie insisted on calling what... Should we give the people background, or do we think everyone knows, like, what? Okay, we'll give you the 30-second version. Uh, okay. Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, was a dude from Illinois, but who worked in... Uh, had family in Kenosha, Illinois, where they were having a big protest uh, over no. over uh, from Kenosha, this... Wisconsin. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Sorry, right? He was from Illinois. Because remember, hashtag crossing state lines yes. was for yes, some yes. reason a big crossing... deal here. <laughs> the fact that he crossed state lines is a big important detail to a lot of people for some reason. Well, and also uh, from from is he's living right now, not in Kenosha, but he has lived in Kenosha before. Right. Um. So. Kenosha was having a big Black Lives Matter protest, which turned into a riot. Um, people were burning things. Lots of violence was going on. Rittenhouse uh, decides to go out armed with, and I think people keep saying it's an AR-15, but I don't trust it's people a, to get that right. It's an uh, AR-15. Okay, so he goes out with an AR-15 to help, you know, keep the peace or protect the property that's going to get destroyed or something. It's kind of unclear, um, but he ends up shooting three people at the trial. It was pretty clear that these people were attacking him at the time. Also before the trial, but, you know. (laughs) Also before (laughs) the trial, but definitely at the trial. Um, And his defense was 100% self-defense, and he was acquitted on all charges. Uh, The left is very upset about this, and the right thinks he's some kind of hero. The really interesting thing about the left is... Uh, okay, so Fox News, I remember seeing this graphic, I don't know, five, ten years ago, I don't even remember how long it was, that uh, basically the more you watched uh, Fox News, the less informed you were on topics of, of political importance. On, and like, in factual fact, questions? 
Yes, and in fact, the people who watched the most Fox News uh, were the most, like, not just uninformed, but misinformed, like, actively believing false things, uh, which was passed all around the leftist circles at the time, and mm. I, too, lulled at the Fox watchers. Uh, but now, you could have that exact same infographic, except reversed, because there are literally people out there who still, to this day, believe that Kyle Rittenhouse grabbed an AR-15 from, like, hundreds of miles away, went to a town he'd never been in, so that he could hunt down black people and found three of them and shot them and now he's gotten away with it and yeah. like that is nothing remotely close to what happened it- yes what, what actually happened is kyle rittenhouse was staying over in kenosha at a friend's house his gun was already there uh and he went out and shot three white people and uh he was actually helping three white graffiti- people who were actively trying to kill him Yes, he was he was actually him. defending the community before, like cleaning off graffiti, trying to uh, help people with medical stuff. I don't know. He he came off a shift as a lifeguard earlier that day, which to me is just like, huh, this this is a pretty swell dude. Yeah, didn't he um, get like smacked in the head with a skateboard at some point too? He did, uh, and someone a, one shot. of the people he shot was swinging a skateboard at okay. him. Okay. Yeah, there was there was uh, someone pointed a gun at him, which is when he got shot. Like, when someone's literally pointing a gun at you, that is that is a great time to shoot. Yeah, so the pedophile he shot was unarmed. The domestic abuser was the one with a skateboard. And then Spicy Bicep Boy, um... I can't remember what his thing was, but he was also some sort of generic scumbag. I think he was I pointing think... a Glock at oh, yeah. House oh, at yeah, the time duh. he was shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh. and testified on the stand that, yes, no, Rittenhouse didn't shoot me until I pointed my gun at him. Yeah, so, there was that, there was also, um... That guy the, did not die, by the way, the, which is uh, how he could testify. Yes, uh, there's also the bit about how, um, the, uh, prosecution, like, brought in, or brought up all sorts of stuff that they didn't need to about how awful the people Rittenhouse shot were. And the way the rules of evidence works, the defense can't bring the first can't be the first ones to bring that up. But if the prosecution brings it up, then they can like discuss the topics freely. Um, and there were just all sorts of own goals by the uh, prosecution, all the way up to and including the prosecution pointing an AR-15 with his finger on the trigger at pretty much everyone in the courthouse. So, uh, Wes, was the prosecution, was the, uh, lead attorney for the prosecution in the Rittenhouse case a good lawyer? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to go with no on this one. Could he have intentionally thrown the case? Like, I heard a few people saying he might have, because how else can you explain this level of incompetence? Uh, trials are hard? I, I, I mean, guess. Just there were so many own goals that were completely unnecessary, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's a prosecutor. He's not, like... You know, he's not Johnny Cochran. Yeah, he's used to, like, having everything go his way and have the entire system set up to support him and that's not having true. to work very hard to get convictions. All of that's very true. Uh, one of the things I do want to make sure we put out there is that there's been a lot of takes, uh, even before the verdict, suggesting that the judge was somehow biased in favor of the defense. Um, and first of all, that doesn't happen. Judges are never biased in favor of the defense. Um, and second of all, uh, I I recommend anyone who thinks that listen to opening arguments 
um, which has actually done really good coverage on all of this. They are like super uber liberals who were, you know, just as disappointed in the verdict as everyone else and really thought it was going to be a conviction. Um, but they go through all these accusations of bias by the judge and explain exactly why the judge was behaving um, exactly like the rules of evidence tell you that you're supposed to. So to be clear, you're talking about a podcast called Opening Arguments, not yes. the actual Opening Arguments? Yes, I'm talking about a podcast called Opening Arguments by okay. Andrew Torres and um, his comedian partner, whose name I can't remember right now. So to be clear, when uh, the defendant in a case has spent the time since their arrest invoking their Fifth Amendment, yeah, their Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination, should you bring that up as the prosecution? As uh, de- a strike against them? Definitely not. That is, uh, you cannot do that. Uh, that's the whole point of the Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. When they say you have, that, and it's funny because they don't have that right in Great Britain. Um, so when you're Mirandized in Britain, they have a very similar uh, thing to where they say, like, you have the right to remain silent. But they say at that point, um, if you choose not to talk, that can be held against you. We don't have that in the oh. United States because you can't hold that against someone in the United States. Interesting. That sounds like a bad law. Eh, there's there's uh, pros and cons, but yeah, I'd rather have ours. I do want to say when we first heard about the Kyle thing, we had some things to say about it long ago. And uh, one of the things that I think we were all in agreement, but I specifically at least said was that this kid, uh, despite the fact that he was probably in his rights with self-defense from everything that it looks like, should not have come to a different town where he wasn't and uh, try to defend their businesses or whatever with a gun. That was just stupid Yahoo bullshit behavior. And I am frowning upon him, uh, even though he was technically within his rights. Uh, I want to amend that. Because I did not know, like, at the time, I still believed the left-wing narrative of these being mostly peaceful uh, protests. Uh, I have since then found out that not only did, you know, he used to live there and a lot of his family still lived there and he worked there, uh, but also, like, the protests during the night got totally out of hand. Uh, there was shootings. There was burnings to the point where um, several blocks were just leveled by fires. And the... The police and firefighters were either unwilling or absolutely unable to do anything about it. And quite frankly, if there's people in my neighborhood or my parents' neighborhood running around burning down uh, entire blocks, uh, I I would feel very good for anybody going there and helping my parents and me out. And quite honestly, I might go myself. And the fact that he didn't shoot until he literally thought his life was in danger is a lot more restraint than I think was even necessary. So uh, I, I take back what I said at the time. I was believing many things which turned out not to be true. Uh, I yeah. recommend against going to places where people are violently rioting with guns uh, unless there is a specific uh person or or place that you need to defend um and you can do that with a a single like by yourself sure if you have a specific person then it feels more like a necessity but if you're going to help your community uh even if you don't have to i think that you do do is do (laughs) do do that uh if you do do that that's like that's one of those things that is above and beyond like this that's what heroes do kind of moment you don't have to i i uh, in one sense, I'm sympathetic to that position, but in another sense, I feel like if, say, the KKK or neo-Nazis or whatever were going to a black neighborhood to have a mostly peaceful protest, 
and like the National African American Gun Association showed up to counter protest and they were armed, I feel like that would be a distinctly cool thing for them to do. And I'm not sure I can draw a principal distinction between Rittenhouse and hypothetical Naga there. Oh, well, here's my principal distinction, because I agree that okay. would be fine. Um, it's that they're they're an organized group. Um, okay. I think, yeah, written, I think showing that. up on your own with a gun with, like, no real plan except I'm going to run around and save people or buildings or whatever he's going to do is much more likely to end badly than to end well. Um, I've, I, I would be okay if it was, like, an organized group who had a plan, who knew what they were doing. Um, who wanted to go out and and defend either specific areas or specific people? Uh, but just go, just grabbing a gun and going yourself, I feel like is super reckless, and you shouldn't do that. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Maybe it's reckless, but like he was literally running towards a fire at the at the time of the first incident to put it out, and the guy started chasing him, and he had the gun to defend himself in case a crazy person started trying to kill him. So uh, he was, I guess. Just prudent in that point. He was running to put out a fire, and a crazy person tried to kill him. Yeah, I'm if glad he had a gun. If you're already there, then definitely uh, bring your gun. Um, I just don't... I feel like if you can not be there, that would probably be the best decision. Mm, maybe for yourself, but I, yeah, I still think I, it's admirable. So, having updated on Wes's totally reasonable... Um, distinction there i think the thing to do is to find an organized group you can join that would probably be best there aren't always such groups to join though yeah and i think in that case it's probably you're doing you're, you're creating more danger by going than you are by staying away i understand that it's a heroic impulse to run in and, and risk yourself to try to help others um but if you're just one person um and you don't really have a coherent plan about what exactly you can do to save lives or protect property um then i i i really don't i don't see that as heroic i see that as reckless okay mm. so uh do we want to talk about how the uh aclu has come out in favor of presumption of guilt oh, and prosecutorial misconduct <laughs> i mean i wish we didn't uh, have a, a reason to talk about this but apparently, yeah, that ACLU, at least the ACLU Twitter feed, which has been trashed for a while, uh, it's just been tweeting about how Rittenhouse was, uh, I don't know, should have gotten railroaded by the prosecution and shouldn't have rights. I don't know. This was the ACLU of Massachusetts. Are they different? I think it was, no, Maryland, maybe? It was one of the M states. I'm pretty sure ACLU National retweeted them, like, approvingly. Okay. No, ACLU National made their own tweet that was terrible. Oh, okay. Uh, it was the Massachusetts one was the really bad one. Uh, yeah, so the ACLU of Maryland tweeted, Dangerous, disgusting, unacceptable white supremacy in hashtag Rittenhouse verdict. <laughs> and ACLU National tweeted, it is far too easy to overlook the impact that violence in defense of white supremacy has had on the black and brown communities. Yeah, and that one that is pretty tame until you realize it was in response to um, what what the ACU of Maryland was saying. Yes, or or no, it wasn't. It wasn't a response to that, but it was. There was a bunch of other tweets um, um, in the in the no. chain that was like, "We're definitely we're talking about Rittenhouse here, guys." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that that's a that is one tweet in a thread which began 
breaking, Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty of the fatal shooting of two and injury of another during the protest over the shooting of Jacob Blake by the Kenosha Police Department. Yeah. Now, the ACLU's... Now, I, I don't like parsing tweets because tweets are stupid and mm-hmm. don't... <laughs> agree know, with that. And don't uh, really... Are not good for communicating the nuance of, of your position. Um, so you could parse the, the ACLU's tweet as saying the problem here was the... You know, what what happened in Kenosha? Not necessarily the Rittenhouse wasn't convicted. Because um, they... You know, they... Well, earlier in that thread, they tweeted, Despite Kyle Rittenhouse's conscious decision to travel across state lines and across injure state one person lines! and take the lives of two people protesting the shootings of Jacob Blake by the police, he was not held responsible for his actions. Unfortunately, this is not surprising. What do you want to bet that if I searched in the ACLU Twitter, I could find something from, like, mid-2019 about how borders are not real? i just i feel like anyone who brings up the crossing state lines thing is just that that's just like 100 percent using arguments as soldiers yes like (laughs) cross state lines who cares i I love how i love how um on this one issue the left has suddenly become not only anti-immigration but anti like internal movement inside a country and also pro law and order and pro like prosecution and prosecutorial misconduct yeah. and the right is suddenly super concerned about prosecutorial misconduct and uh criminal justice abuse yeah yeah it was just <laughs> I, see, I almost wish he was convicted so he could uh hear the right complaining about uh you know the pipeline to prison almost <laughs> that would yeah. be very good yeah. Oh, uh, it's almost like nobody has any principles at all, and it's all tribalism. Uh, almost. I mean, that's we know that's not true, but do we? So, uh, no. Yes, we, we don't. do. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. So, one last thing before we leave this topic, because God knows we're all ready to leave this topic. The AR in AR-15 stands for Armalite rifle, not assault rifle. And saying it stands for assault rifle is deeply problematic erasure of BIPOC Irish culture. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google my little Armalite. Okay. All right. And to conclude, all takes other than ours are bad, so don't pay attention to them. True. Um, That goes for all topics, by the way. All right. Are we ready to move on? Yes, please. Okay. In lighter news... There's some shenanigans going on with the Jones Act that Eniash is going to tell us about. The Jones Act. Okay, this is uh, an act from a hundred years or more ago. It was uh, after World War One, I, I believe. Uh, that said, anyone who is shipping thing from shipping something from one part of the U.S. to another part of the U.S. has to ship it on ships that were made in and are crewed by and are under the flag of uh, America. So, made in America, crewed by Americans under the American flag. Is, uh, is this which... the one that could alternately be titled the Fuck Puerto Rico Act? Yes, yes, yes it could. Okay. Also, fuck Hawaii, uh, which my, my significant other has uh, many strong opinions about. Uh, but the the Jones Act uh, has some exceptions in it. Uh, for example, if you transport your wa- uh, your wares partly by rail in a different country, well, in Canada, uh, then 
the Jones Act does not necessarily apply. Wait, is there not an exception for Mexico? Uh, I don't know. Huh. I, I, I didn't look deep enough into it to know whether there is for Mexico or not. Well, I would guess the exceptions for Alaska, because Alaska is between two parts of the United States. Or not, I mean, yes. not, not Alaska, uh, Canada is. Ah, true. That, that would be my guess. But again, I can't say that with uh, certainty. Uh, but this... <laughs> this exemption was used for a long time by some seafood companies in uh, Alaska. They wanted to ship their seafood to the northeast, which means going all the way around through the Panama Canal back up to the north and then, you know, dropping your wares there at a town somewhere. Uh, what they were doing was going just a little bit further north into Canada and dis, uh, un- unloading their wear- wares in a Canadian town and then putting them on a train. Uh, that train went uh, about less than 100 miles south and then uh, they would take it from the goods from that train, put them onto a truck, truck it into America and distribute it to wherever they uh, finally wanted to be in the end. Warehouses, grocery stores, whatever. Uh, anyways, they did get... Uh, they called up the regulators way back long ago and made sure this was all clear. Everyone was like, yep, this is fine. This is good. Don't worry about it. And at one point, someone thought, you know what? Wouldn't it be easier if we could just like have a really short railroad trip and then put them from the railroad onto the trucks and just keep the whole thing going, but without paying the railroad companies all this money for the little period in between? And uh, their answer was yes. Yes, that would be much easier. So they made a rail line of 100 feet. <laughs> At the port where the ships dock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, the goods would be un- undocked there uh, in Canada, travel 100 feet on this little rail line that was made specifically to move them 100 feet within Canada, and then put on trucks and right, taken I, to I have an important places. question. Yes. Where can I get the children's book about this? I don't think there is one yet, what? but this is I, a business opportunity. Yeah, I the littlest a, railroad. <laughs> I have another important question. Was mm. the 100-foot rail line powered by one of those, like, double-ended hand crank things? Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> they, in one of our links, there's great video of, of, this, <laughs> of these things being loaded up on the rail line, scooting forward 100 feet, and then going off it again. It's, it's kind of great. Yeah, I mean, a hundred feet is like train length. Right, yeah. It is, you can walk that in a few minutes. Uh, So um, they didn't take this one past regulators, but their own internal review was like, I mean, it's literally the same thing. It's just a shorter distance, so whatever, it should be fine. Uh, And they claim that somewhere during this time period of, uh, this this was going on for about 20 years, somewhere in this time period, some regulators knew about it and like never pursued the issue. But recently, uh, the U.S. said, no, this is bullshit. You can't do this and find them $320 million dollars i believe yeah that's many dollars it is it was across a a few companies at least two companies uh and it was for a number of years and uh told them you can't do any more the shipping right now and so if you were living in the northeast and you were wondering where your alaskan seafood had gone uh that's where it was it was held up for quite a while uh the judge temporarily has allowed the shipments to continue saying that during this process when they're going to trial uh nothing um, none of the fees can apply to what they're shipping right now, and they can keep doing it. So uh, at least they can keep the the food going uh, until we have decided whether this is legit good stuff to do or not. 
Hey, do you know what would be a great thing to do during a global shortage of everything when supply lines are choking left and right? Make it cheaper to uh, ship things? Well, I was going to say repealing the Jones Act, but since that would be the effect of repealing the Jones Act, I will give you partial credit. (laughs) Yeah, that's a... But that might not create jobs. Oh no, we can't lose the gerbs. We need no, no. gerbs. Who cares about be... supply <laughs> There's going to be just as many people moving just as much stuff that people just won't necessarily be part of American unions. Yeah, who cares if the On rest American of the world ships. has gerbs? Yeah, fuck them. They don't need jarbs. Yeah, that's for Americans. Well, for, uh... Those members of our audience who are slightly younger or slightly older than the hosts, that entire sequence was a reference to a web cartoon from a very narrow slice of the internet's history, which was very funny. So uh, I think that while this is very much against the spirit of the law, uh, I I don't see how it's Fuck really... the spirit of the law. <laughs> I don't see how it's really different from the original, yeah, as long as you're transporting them 100 miles, it's okay thing. Uh, it's it's just a stupid fucking law, and getting around it is great. As we uh, always support doing with stupid laws. Okay, so I'm not the only one who thinks this was this was really pretty awesome of no, these this guys. Is awesome. Okay. Uh, the Jones Act is a terrible law, and anything we can do to subvert it is good. Yeah. Also, in one of the articles, it was pointed out that they couldn't have switched right to Jones Act supporting uh, shipping because there just isn't enough uh, shipping crews and American-owned shipping uh, ships, I guess, uh, to to do that right now. Yeah, they, we, we they... wouldn't want to have supply chain bottlenecks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, I guess they can obviously make more ships. Uh, it just would take a while, but uh, I'm... I'm... I'm sad that it looks like this little cheat is going away. I guess they're going to have to go back to shipping it 100 miles south instead of using the 100-foot rail. Cool, cool, cool. All right, moving on. Uh, next couple stories here are... Uh, the <laughs> These are ones we had to resist putting in happy news because we are trying not to put schadenfreude in there. Uh, but the first one is that Steve Bannon has been indicted. Yay! Woohoo! It, is this... Is this the indictment for the crimes that led to his being arrested by the post office SWAT team while on a boat? No. Wasn't that? That oh, was that, a while ago, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. But, uh, you know, no. the gears of justice turn slowly and all that. No, no, no. This is, um, this is contempt <laughs> This is of a Congress. different crime he did. Oh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one where they needed to send Nancy Pelosi out to arrest him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is contempt of Congress for failing to uh, respond to their subpoenas. Did she actually have to go? No. Herself? No, she didn't. Okay. But she could have. They could have deputized her as the uh, sergeant at arms. (laughs) Since, you know, she's one of three concealed carry permit holders from the state of California. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We uh, we talked about this last episode, I think, that he was uh, subpoenaed and blew off the subpoena and was like, I have presidential uh uh privilege so i don't even have to show up um the congress disagreed and actually did something about it this time and by did something i mean they just kicked the can over to the justice department but then the justice department did something um they had him indicted and now he is uh facing trial 
on a federal crime. So that's fun. It's nice to know that you can't just blow off subpoenas forever. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like it's good. I wanted them to. I wanted them to just send the sergeant at arms out to get him, but apparently they don't do that. I still think it's weird that Congress can arrest people. Yeah, I I think if we're going to have a Congress that can arrest people, we shouldn't let people like Bannon be exempted from that. Yeah. But I would prefer we not have a Congress that can arrest people. Well, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough call, especially when it's for things like this. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer we don't have a Congress, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> ah. All right. And on that note, we're going to move on to our next story, which is about another asshole getting some comeuppance. Um, Alex Jones has been held liable uh, for calling the Sandy Hook shooting a hoax. Uh, if you'll recall this story, um, Alex Jones is like this right-wing maniac who has a radio show, and I think it gets put on TV somewhere. Um, but he's the guy who in his who was going through a divorce and like basically admitted that he's just playing a character on TV. Yes. He's like, well, I can't believe any of this bullshit. Come on, this everything I say is crazy. Yeah, and I have I have to say the Alex Jones show is actually kind of funny. Um, I mean, how could it, it not be? Cuckoo banana pants, and you need to be able to like see the humor in people saying absolutely bonkers stuff apparently seriously. But if you can do that, then it's it's pretty good for a chuckle, especially since he's so obviously a grifter because he plugs his hashtag nutraceuticals every <laughs> opportunity he can. Nutraceuticals? Yes. <laughs> Those are just supplements, right? Yep. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. So Alex Jones is like a, a, a snake oil salesman, basically. And one of his uh, things back when Sandy Hook happened was to decide that, no, th this these were all crisis actors. Um, this shooting didn't actually happen. Um, and nobody's sad about it, which was just like the grossest thing ever. It's like people's kids got shot and he's like, ah, it's all bullshit. Um, it's like, uh, well, like one uh, one three millionth of a Holocaust denial. Yeah, Something I could see like that. that. Yeah, uh, but it was gross, and they sued him, and he's been held liable, not on the merits, just because he refused to answer discovery. Oh, okay, uh, that's good, because, yeah. like, I, I definitely, as much as I find him amusing, I do agree that Alex Jones is pretty gross, um, uh, because I have met people who, like, actually take him seriously and don't realize he's a grifter. Um, but I was worried about the, uh, First Amendment implications for this, because it does seem like that's pretty clearly some sort of protected speech. So he's going down on a technicality because he wouldn't, what, show up for court? It's not a technicality. It's... Well... he. So in a lawsuit, you have what's called discovery, where yeah. if, if I'm suing you, I get to answer, ask you a bunch of questions, say you have to produce a bunch of documents, um, and you have to do that. And if you don't do that, you get a stern warning. And then you get a second stern warning. And then a third stern warning. And then, like, the fourth time, they're like, all right, you're going to lose this case unless you do it. Um, and then if you still don't do it, yeah, you get defaulted against. I mean, I don't, didn't mean technicality, like, in a pejorative term. I mean that it wasn't found on the facts of the matter that he was guilty. Correct. It was a, yeah, default. It was, not, it was not decided on the merits. Well, that's too bad. I would have liked to see it on decided on the merits. But as, as a... 
as David said, I'm glad he lost because I'm not sure he would have lost if it was decided on the mer- merits due to this free speech thing we got. This free speech thing. Yeah, I have no idea how it would have come out on the merits. Um, you know, there's free speech, but also that doesn't cover defamation. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like the um, the the voting machine company that's suing the Fox News and Newsmax and, and uh, Giuliani for going out and saying their machines were hacked by Chavez or somebody. <laughs> um, and there was just there was just no evidence of that at all um which i is not protected by the first amendment and shouldn't be um so I, I imagine this would have been something similar because i i have to think that jones sort of expected to lose which is why he just blew off the discovery yeah if i remember right there's like uh there is a protection from defamation for like people who are cuckoo banana pants enough that like they're 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 basically assumed to be just like talking out of their asses ah somebody's which, been listening to all the president's lawyers yes i have <laughs> uh which like say what you will about the merits of that as like a legal principle i do think that's that there should be a general presumption against weakening first amendment protections wherever they may be found and yeah, like but- that's definitely one of the more dubious protections we have, but it's still a one A protection, and those are very good in general. Well, I think defamation actually works um, in theory has a has a pretty good answer to that. Whereas those protections uh, only apply if you are committing defamation against somebody who is a public figure. Hmm. And there's lots of legal wrangling about who's exactly a public figure and, and what you know what yeah. what you have to do to be that. Um, but the if you're if you're uh, saying things about someone who's a public figure, then to be guilty of defamation, you have to have what they call actual malice. Um, whereas you have to know what you were saying was wrong or act with substantial like recklessness about whether it was wrong. Whereas if you are commenting on someone who's not a public figure, um, it's much easier. Uh, so if you are a crazy person who actually believes what you're saying, um, then you can't be held liable for defamation against public figures, but you can against non-public figures. What if you're like Stephen Colbert saying that Dick Cheney holds people in his man's size safe in his office? Um, that is... So the the question there is would a... Uh, or, reasonable person find that to be a serious accusation okay and i think part of the reasonable person standard is like familiar with the general um uh nature of the medium of communication so for stephen colbert that would include the understanding that it's a satirical show yeah appearing on comedy central yeah yeah, I don't know exactly how that what the standard is. I don't do defamation cases, but it would definitely be relevant. That yes, this entire show is satire. So, uh, hang on, I'm I'm curious about the uh, Fenza Law Firm. I would imagine that like divorce proceedings tend to generate the sorts of things that would lead to defamation cases. So, do you like subcontract that if slash when it happens? No, or are nope. you just good enough at your job that you prevent it from getting that far? Not, none of my clients are ever rich enough to pursue defamation. Okay, um, also, cool. defamation is just impossible to prove. And I don't think I've ever had a client who I actually said, like, no, this is a good defamation case. Because <laughs> um, also, defamation uh, is just like proving damages is really hard. Yeah. Um, you can get there's such a thing as defamation per se, um, where you don't have to prove damages, but then. 
Like, if you accuse someone of having been unchaste or of having a loathsome disease. Exactly. Uh, Didn't realize you had to prove damages, usually. uh, You don't have to prove damages in those circumstances. Um, You're you're presumed to have certain damages. Um, But I just... I, I really almost never see a circumstance where I think it's worthwhile to pursue a defamation claim, um, especially because you're much more likely to just try sand affect it uh, into <laughs> becoming wor- even worse. So that's understandable because you are sane and a good lawyer, but I'm surprised that you've never ended up in a circumstance where like someone you're working for, like, or someone who's hired you, like their crazy spouse tries to come after them for defamation. I'm actually kind of surprised about that too. If that happened, I would, I would find a, a defamation lawyer. That's okay, cool. not not my area. Uh, all right. Next story. This is from Eniash about who fun things happening in Congress and on Twitter. Yay! Uh, Twitter, Twitter favorite things. <laughs> Con- <laughs> Congress and Twitter go awesome together. Well, I think Twitter should be abolished before Congress should be abolished. But I know I'm the radical here. <laughs> uh, Representative Goss- Gosser. Uh, Gozar? <laughs> I believe it's Gozer the Gozarian. <laughs> okay. Uh, he tweet- retweeted a uh, Attack on Titan clip. For people who aren't familiar, Attack on Titan is an anime from about a decade ago where uh, massive, giant, skinless humans rampage through a medieval town and uh, kids had to swing around on ropes and kill them by hitting them in the back of the neck. It was actually really well animated and really fun for the first, I don't know, half dozen episodes, and then it did the anime thing where just nothing happens forever. Uh, but the action sequences were really fucking great. Um, anyways, someone took the, I believe it was the intro clip to the show, although it's been so long now I don't remember, uh, where the protagonist is like swinging all around the town and then smashes one of the titans on the back of the neck and kills it and then runs across the rooftop and jumps at like this massive, huge, mother of all titans thing and then the screen fr- freezes. And uh, they took this clip and they put Representative Gosar's face on the hero and then they put AOC's face on the first titan that got killed and then they put uh, Biden's face on the massive mother of all titans at the end of the clip. And uh, he retweeted it and thought it was funny and then people on the right said or on the right people on left said that he was advocating literal murdering of aoc by doing this and uh they the congress i guess agreed because they voted on it and censured him for doing that and took him off of one of the big committees that he was on and um i guess he issued some sort of apology but then later he said no it wasn't an apology so there's that (laughs) but (laughs) but this whole thing was just really weird I think people being performatively outraged. What? Yeah. So <laughs> how dare you, sir? <laughs> so, you don't think it's a literal violence? To... I I'm not sure. Yeah. So could... I'd like to uh, I'd like to do something I was saving for a troop deployment, but this is a good excuse to do it. Uh, Rune Soup, which is a kind of nutty but kind of great podcast about chaos magic. Uh, their second from most recent episode, uh, Revisiting the World Without Sin, Reframing Censorship and Propaganda, is really good, and it's basically framing, like, for lack of a better term, cancel culture and this sort of internet bullshit as, uh, um, as leftists trying to create a world without sin, which is a reference to the protag- or the antagonist from, uh, Serenity, the Firefly movie. Ah. Um, 
And if you have seen that movie, then you know how that ends for the people trying to create the world without sin. Spoilers, really... exploding heads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a really good episode. Um, it's uh, long on the uh, goodness and not short on the nuttiness, but not terribly long on the nuttiness either. Um, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and it's quite good. There are worse ways you could spend 20 minutes. David, if you believe in chaos magic, couldn't uh, sharing this clip literally be considered uh, literal violence? Uh, no, it couldn't, because magic doesn't work that way. I thought the whole point of uh, chaos magic was that it influences the society around you through memes and such. That is true. And so this is an influence of the society around you with anime memes to increase the general violence level against the AOC to acceptable limits? Oh, oh, you mean uh, sharing the edited anime clip? Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant me sharing the podcast episode. Um, oh, no, no. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, but, I mean, I would say in this case it's him shooting back at people who are being the original aggressors. Um, I mean, the, the clip itself is explicitly anti-immigrant, which is not aggression, but uh, just generally not liking leftists is... Uh, sorry, I kind of lost the plot of that <laughs> thought. But... I, I, I was just sniping at Chaos Magic saying it's yeah. dumb. Okay, that's, that's fair. It is dumb, but also kind of cool. Well, look, uh, the point is, we're all agreed that sharing a cartoon violence is unacceptable and literally violence against real human beings. That is what some of us are agreed to, yes. (laughs) Oh my god, this is the dumbest thing that has happened since the last dumb thing that happened. Um, So the dumbest thing for the last two minutes. Yeah, exactly. What I... When I first saw this reported, it was that he gets censured for uh, sharing a clip of AOC being murdered by him. And I was like, oh, wow, that actually does sound kind of serious. And then I saw the video and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? My favorite takes on this are like, this is a co-worker. Like, if anyone in any workplace did something like this, they'd be fired. Oh, my God. I know. And I'm like, dude, if anyone does any of the shit Congress people did, they'd get fired. Like, Congress is not a normal workplace. Also, like, this is stuff you would totally do in most workplaces. Like, ha ah, look, I made Bob have the face on Jill, and yeah. I mean, I would not recommend making uh, videos about you killing your coworkers. Uh, I feel like that could cause a little little disruption in the office. Eh, maybe if it's an office full of pansies. <laughs> I mean, especially if you work in Congress. The right? Yeah, I think the big takeaway here is just that being a congressperson is not a real job. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's certainly not a real workplace. Like, Congress people are constantly going out and being like, yo, fuck my coworkers. They suck. They're the worst. They're trying to destroy America. I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. You this is not like in a normal workplace that is not a s- sort of thing you would that would be acceptable. You'd get sent to HR for that. For implying your coworkers trying to destroy America? Yeah. Okay. And just like, but like they say like the nastiest shit about each other constantly. It's like don't don't pretend like this is like oh a step too far. It's definitely not a normal work workplace. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Next story is also from Eniash about Chinese data laws. Yeah, I don't know very much about this one. Uh, I tried to look into it a bit, but it doesn't look like that many people know about it either. Uh, 
China is um, passed the personal information protection law, uh, which, in, for according to sources, increases government control about how domestic and foreign organizations collect and export China's data. Um, I, I mean, I s realize that it's being play, uh, reported in the most negative way possible for China, uh, that China is trying to control how this data goes out. But, you know, on the other hand, a lot of people don't want their personal data uh, going out anywhere. And I think if something similar was passed in the U.S., it would get cheers from almost everyone, really. Uh, pretty much all the people who are don't have business interests uh, in the matter. Yeah, is this supposed to be like a privacy protection? Uh, that is how China has built it, at least, yes. Mm, color me suspicious. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other thing. Uh, China does often make laws which are sound good on their face but actually have very different motives and uh this might be one of those cases because a lot of shipping companies chinese shipping companies have interpreted this to mean that they cannot share information about where their ships are with non-chinese sources which uh maybe was the intended effect or maybe an effect that the chinese government doesn't mind because they often like throwing a little bit of chaos in the works when it would be advantageous to them. Oh, but, uh, yeah. So uh, it's only about privacy from non-Chinese yes. sources. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense for the Chinese government. I was like, they don't care about privacy. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, oh no, uh, only you can only tell us. That makes way more sense. Yeah. Yes, but a lot of um, Chinese shipping companies now have, I believe, uh, it said fifty. Between 50 and 90% of them stopped giving data as to where their ships were to these large data conglomeration services. I didn't know before this week that this was a thing, but there are cert, uh, special companies that keep track of where ships are and uh, manage that data for all the shipping companies and ports and other vested interests out there. And now they just don't know where those ships are. And uh, that is having some issues with uh, supply lines, as one can imagine. Cool. Because we needed more of those. Also... We should probably add something for the next week's episode about how Xi Jinping is trying to have a third term, which is currently illegal under the CCP's rules, and his opponents are setting off explosions to try to make him look bad so he can't push through the rule change. Oh, that I seems didn't like hear some important that. stuff we've been yeah. overlooking. <laughs> yeah, I, this is the first I'm hearing of it. You, why didn't you put that in the show notes, David? Because I forgot. <laughs> All right. Well, do well, it for our next show. Tune in next show for a uh, Chinese dictator update. All right. Uh, in the meantime, speaking of dictators, this is a great segue. We're going to move on to Belarus. Uh, when last we left them, Belarus was forcing planes to land so they could arrest dissident journalists. Uh, check out episode 32 if you want to hear about all about that. Now, Belarus is currently trolling the EU. Uh, by manufacturing a, a border crisis with Poland. Uh, according to the EU, which Belarus denies they're doing this, well, the EU is accusing them of flying in tons of Middle Eastern immigrants and releasing them on the border between Poland and Belarus so they can run into Poland and either uh, just... Uh, you know, av avoid authorities and and get into the EU that way, or to declare asylum. Um, and this uh, super sucks because Poland is catching a lot of those people and then trying to return them to Belarus, and then Belarus is trying to send them across the border again, and they're just like caught in the middle of these two asshole countries that don't give a shit about them. And meanwhile, people are like starving and dying, uh, and it really sucks. And apparently, yep. Belarus is just doing it because they are s s mad at all the sanctions that the EU has put on them. So they're acting out. 
They are trying to destabilize their neighbor countries. Using vulnerable immigrants as political props and not actually giving a fuck about their quality of life? What? A good thing we don't have anything like that in America. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Please ignore all references to immigrant caravans around election times. So, um, what do you think about... Because the reason he's doing this is because... uh, Everyone in that area believes that uh, having these immigrants would be bad for them. And so, you know, it's a destabilizing move. He's trying to sabotage his neighboring countries. Uh, and, you know, he knows this. Yeah. That's why he's doing it. Do, since both I know you and David are uh, defenders of the unalloyed good of complete uh, dissolution of borders, do you think that if they weren't trying to ship these people back, that he would actually be doing Poland and his neighboring countries a big favor by bringing all these immigrants over? No. Um, my position is that, uh, open borders is good on the merits, but that it creates too much of a political backlash to actually do. Um, if there was some way to act, to get like the immigrants into the country without anyone noticing, um, then yes, that would be, that would be good for the, for everyone. Um, but I think if, you know, because people know about it, they're going to be all pissed off and probably elect even more hard right politicians in Poland. Uh, to be like, fuck the immigrants even harder. Yeah, I think that in order for immigration to be a good thing, there needs to be enough, like, marginal improvement in economic productivity for the immigrants uh, that they, like, are not just marginal improvement, but, like, absolute improvement that they won't turn to crime or other things like that. Um and I'm not sure that the Polish bo- the Polish economy is advanced enough to support that um, uh, kind of immigration without the migrants thinking that doing crimes is a good idea. It's definitely one of the poorest economies in the EU. Yeah. So yeah, I so that that is an unresolved factual question whose answer will change my opinion on that question. Uh, in interesting side news, some of these countries have been making border fences, which are very different from our border wall. They're basically just, I don't like, 12-foot-tall chain-link fences with barbed wire across the top, which, uh, from reports, have been very successful. Although, in large part, that's because the immigrants can just go to the next country over, since there's a lot of them in Europe and they're close together. Yeah. So, David, I'm actually going to disagree with you on that, because... I believe the idea uh, of getting into Poland is that because Poland is a member of the European Union, they can then go from Poland into the more developed countries. Yeah, but that wouldn't be a matter of it being good for Poland necessarily. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they'd just be um, kind of passing through there. Yeah, yeah, no, I do definitely think that, like, if Poland weren't being dicks about it, it would be good for Germany, France, etc. Um, yeah. Oh, they're going to have just as much of a cow as Poland. Like, the whole EU is anti-immigration. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, they're huge but racists. That's because they, but that's because they don't like being rich and getting things, <laughs> getting valuable things for a small amount of money. You know, it's all about gerbs. Yep. Fucking gerbs. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my take on this is... Uh, is to see my uh, troop deployment in episode 29 for how to improve the uh, global asylum system by making all countries, like basically anyone who wants asylum, you get entered into a pool 
and you sort of you're randomly assigned to a participating country. Uh, it's that the, is a very good system, and it doesn't depend on just where you showed up that day. I mean, as long as all the countries were in on it, then yeah, that'd be great. But seeing how much they hate, not every country would be in on it. But I think you you could get enough. Yeah, I figured that um, if you do ha- basically Wes's system would sort of create a pseudo veil of ignorance and uh, um uh that would be enough that in general people's feelings about allowing um asylees in the abstract would control how they set policy and then their um and then the luck of the draw would like maintain that as a stable equilibrium all right but we covered that in episode 29 so go listen to that if you want to hear all about it all right next story Eniash. What's going on with Amazon UK? Uh, Amazon UK is going to stop accepting Visa cards. Uh, at least they have announced those plans. It's not going to go through until mid-January. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, Visa is charging way too much in fees. Credit card companies in general charge a lot of fees to uh, merchants, and merchants always think it sucks, but also they have no other option because their customers really, really, really like using credit cards, and if they don't accept them, they'll go to somebody else. Uh, so Amazon is slightly different from most other retailers because they are fucking huge and most people aren't going to go somewhere else. They're going to stick with Amazon. And if Amazon doesn't accept their visas, they're just going to uh, play with a MasterCard or so- or something else. They will still accept visa debit cards because debit cards have much lower fees than credit cards do. Uh, but yeah, they, that, that is their announced plan. The news stories that I saw on it said things like Amazon bans uh, visa cards in the UK, which is not remotely true for any reasonable definition of the word ban. You can still use your visa cards anywhere you want in the UK, except for Amazon, <laughs> because they have no legal requirement. Oh Wouldn't that be great if Amazon was just like, you know what, visa, you're not allowed in the UK. Nobody, nobody's allowed to accept visa here. Yeah. So if, you can still if you live visas. in the UK and own a visa card, you cannot use Amazon, even if you use a different card. Yeah. It's interesting that this is only the UK. It has to do with uh, EU laws. And when the UK left the European Union, they left themselves open to letting, you know, individuals, not countries, companies like this, uh, not have to deal with the massive bargaining block that is the entire EU. Oh, so would this not, have, would this not fly in the EU? Do they have regulations that against this? That is correct. This? Oh, yes. interesting. Uh, all right. So, David, could you characterize both of these companies as network monopolies? Uh, Amazon and Visa? Yeah. Amazon, I don't think so. Uh, they definitely have economies of scale, but I don't think it comes from a network. Okay. Uh, Visa, I'm gonna tentatively go with no. How about, ne- how about network oligopolies? Yeah, so the, so the issue is that, uh, Visa's, uh, market power comes from Visa being accepted not from other people also using Visa cards, uh, which, like, those are related, but not directly enough that I'm super comfortable calling it a uh, network okay. monopoly. Um, so, yeah, uh, there, there's definitely, like, some uh, market power from both Amazon and Visa. I don't think it comes from network effects, though. All right. But suffice it to say, I have never, ever heard of a company accepting MasterCard and not Visa. Uh, so this strikes me as very weird. I might be one of those trying to split split your enemies, divided they fall. 
They can yeah. go for MasterCard once Visa caves. Maybe. Um, I would. That would be good. I feel like these uh, credit yeah. card companies do have way too much bargaining power for the amount of value they actually add. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say a lot of the credit cards market power comes from their rewards programs, uh, which if you haven't heard me rant about this, uh, remind me to add it as a troop deployment. But basically rewards programs are uh, trying to get consumers to defect in prisoners' dilemmas, where if you accept the rewards, that's the defection because, like, it makes you personally better off, but it also gives the card companies market power, um, and then they use that market power to collect Monopoly rents. So, yeah, that's a that's an important thing. It's one of the surprising insights of advanced economics that uh, not many people know about, and if I haven't talked about it here before, I should, and I will make a future troop deployment about it going yeah. into more detail. Yeah, definitely put that on your list because I don't quite understand that argument. I'd be interested to hear more I, about it. All right. I don't yeah. remember you talking about it before. I'm not sure where exactly I heard you talking about that, but I have heard it, and I still use my uh, cashback card because it gives me cash back. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the damn thing about prisoners' dilemmas. The rule is not never defect in prisoners' dilemmas. And, like, I'm I'm not looking to judge anyone for using their credit card rewards. Because, you know, it's it's not the... It, you could make a strong case for it being a sensible thing to do. But more on that more on that when it's actually like a troop deployment that I'm doing. Yes, on to lighter news. Eniash is going to tell us about Jewface. <laughs> yes, I would love... I, I, I cannot... Okay, so I want to read for our audience the entry in our outline. Uh, point J... Uh, from Inyash, post corner, colon, Jew face. And I cannot uh, exclamation wait point. To Don't forget yes. the exclamation point. Y- yeah, that that's how I read it. Uh, and I cannot wait to hear what this is about. So please, Inyash, go on. Oh, have you not heard of Jew face? No. It's blackface, but for Jews. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Th- this is why I called it post corner. I-, I want to know where you fall in this particular spectrum. Uh... <laughs> For people who aren't familiar with Poe's Law, it's the idea that you cannot make any uh, satire of religion so outlandish and ridiculous that someone won't believe it's actually true. And I run ran into this a lot back in my New Atheism days where uh, someone would say something absolutely outlandish about religion, and one of the religious people on the forums would get really offended. They're like, "You, how can you even say that about religious people? That's ridiculous. Obviously, no one actually believes that. You're strawmanning us. And then they would link back to the source, which is actually someone literally believing and espousing that particular view and everyone's like ah pose law strikes again uh and can go both ways so uh yeah the (laughs) the definition of jew face uh gosh hold on a second let me find the actual wording here because it was really great and sums it up much better than i can Okay, the term the term Jewface refers to a non-Jew playing a Jew with stereotypical Jewishness front and center. Uh, do you think that Jewface is a thing that actual cultural people are concerned about, or is this something that was created by 4chan to troll people? Oh, people are concerned. Uh, I... Okay, hang on. Let me think about this for a second. I'm gonna go with... 4chan PSYOP, but it's one of those 4chan PSYOPs that was, like, 
something that would inevitably enter the zeitgeist if taken seer if not for 4chan and 4chan just beat everyone else to the punch so this was a term created by Sarah Silverman, who, as far as anyone can tell, is doing this in all seriousness. Although, again, she's a comedian, so maybe she's Andy Kaufmaning us. Uh, but she appears to be serious, and a lot of people today are taking her very seriously, including USA Today and NPR, who have done... Uh, NPR has now done multiple uh, stories about this, uh, about how this is a problem, and have named a few recent shows in particular. So yeah, Jewface, it's a, it's a thing now. Uh oh man. Um sounds dumb. It sounds very dumb. I'm really curious as to whether Sarah Silverman will be allowed to play Gentiles anymore or if that would be Gentile face. I just uh you know, I'm I'm still of the opinion that uh you know, acting is all about portraying people you're not. So um as the token Jew on this podcast, I give all of our listeners uh permission to play Jews in whatever sort of acting drama they care to participate in that just shows how internally you how much you've internalized your anti-jewishness from the white supremacist culture that you're surrounded (laughs) by yep true story definitely Uh, the best explanation oh self-hating jews that's uh that's a thing that people talk about sometimes Uh, quite frequently all right anyway enough about jew face we have one more story about uh how much we hate the fda uh, breaking news! Do have a story about it. Breaking news: The FDA sucks for a whole new reason this time. Eniash, tell us about it. Okay, well, um, plaintiffs uh, from various universities, including Harvard and Yale, have asked for the FDA's vaccine data that they use to say yes, the vaccine is safe. Uh, they filed a Freedom of Information Act request for this, and they're asking for about three hundred and twenty-nine thousand pages of data. Uh, the FDA is saying basically no. Uh, the, they're saying that the records have to be reviewed to redact any uh, protected trade secrets and patient data. Uh, they are proposing uh, releasing 500 pages per month, which would mean that they would take 55 years to um, release all this data. The plaintiffs are saying that they want it in 108 days because that's how long it took the FDA to review these documents and uh, approve the uh, vaccines. And if they can review these documents and re- approve the vaccines in that time, then the less delicate task of just looking over the data should not be um, as as labor intensive. Uh, they believe that they said it's difficult to imagine a greater need for transparency than immediate disclosure of the documents relied upon by the FDA to license a product that is now being mandated to over 100 million Americans under penalty of losing their careers, their income, their military service status, and worse. Uh, also, Title 12, Subchapter F of the FDA's regulations stipulates that the agency is to make immediately available all documents underlying licensure of a vaccine. Um, on the one hand, I kind of see the FDA's point where 329 pages is a lot and it takes some time to go over that. But on the other so, uh, hand, 329,000. Yes, 329,000. On the other hand, we live in the age of computers where like you can just delete the column in the spreadsheet that has the names of patients, I would think. I don't know. I think that maybe 108 days isn't that unreasonable considering how many people they have working for them and their millions of dollars of, uh, of budget. Okay. But what do you guys think? Okay. Uh, sorry. I, I'm confused. So you said that this Freedom of Information Act is coming from, like, universities and shit. Yes. But also, you read that quote about how it's being mandated to over 100 million Americans under penalty of blah, blah, blah. Yes. So universities are being super-duper vaccine Nazis. 
I mean, and yet I think it they sounds just want some like data. in this FOIA request or that quote about the FOIA request that they're like worried about people who have uh, genuine concerns being forced to take a vaccine that's maybe not entirely safe. So is this just like people being super unprincipled again? Or is there some way to square that circle that I'm not seeing? No, I'd go with the former. It's just they want some data, and they'll use any argument that seems even remotely applicable, which in this case is uh, talking points from the right. Okay, fuck them. Uh, so uh, fuck. here's here's how you square that. That quote is from a document that was filed and written by lawyers. Okay. Uh, the yep, least that, principled that people. That scans. Uh, for me, I mean, I don't see what's so uh, what's so unreasonable about releasing it over fifty five years. That seems like a reasonable time frame, right, guys? That that does not seem reasonable to me. No. <laughs> well, listen, Mister, I don't want to wait fifty-five years for my documents. Um, well, I, all right, here's my here's my uh, here's my compromise. Make Pfizer do it. They're your trade uh, secrets. You take the papers. You redact everything. Here's my compromise. I'd be okay with that. What Wes said, because <laughs> the FDA won't be able to do anything. Because I consider that the FDA Delenda asked. Yeah, here's my compromise. <laughs> Get rid of the FDA and let Pfizer release well, uh, the documents. Until the Delenda actually asked, there's got to be something in the meantime. Um, yeah, uh, just release the documents, guys. Come on. Redaction's not that hard. Uh, yeah, we have- Well, I mean, you say that, but given how many, like, super top secret documents got uh, released, got leaked in unredacted form because the redaction was done comically poorly uh, over the past few years. Maybe it's not so easy as we think. Or maybe the people doing it are just way more inco- are way less competent than we think. Yeah, I just mean the FDA is going to be doing it, so it's going to be stupid anyway. And is it True. really, is it going to be better if they take 55 years to do it? I somehow doubt it. No. And importantly, if they say they can't release this for 55 years, everybody who has a beef against the vaccines is going to be like, see? And, I mean, they'll have at least somewhat of a point in that... uh, Yeah, but on the other hand, 55 years from now, many of the people in the study will be dead. So the uh, patient data protection will be slightly mooted when it is inevitably done terribly. (laughs) True. All right. Well, all right. Now, we're going to move on to happy news. Good news, everyone. At long last. All right. And Eniash, tell us what's going Mm -hmm. on with Astral Codex 10. Astral Codex 10, uh, Scott Alexander's blog, is giving away a quarter million dollars in grants. Woo, free money. Yeah. For things that are important, uh, impactful, uh, things that Scott wants to see more of. So if you have anything like that... Uh, go go to the link that we are going to provide and maybe uh, apply for those grants. Yeah, guys, this is uh, not bullshit. If you have a thing that you think could uh, improve the world in a way that will appeal to Scott Alexander, um, then go apply. He's just he is giving away money to fund things. Absolutely. Uh, he had a list of some things that he did not want to see more of because he's seen a whole lot of them recently and none of them are very exciting. Included things like uh, proposals that include the word blockchain but don't say too much about it, uh, <laughs> how it's going to inco- be incorporated. Uh, basically the, the buzzwordy kind of things that you would expect whenever you are giving away a lot of money and people are not really putting much effort or thought into the thing and just want the money. So you know, make sure you have an actual real proposal about something that actually could, uh, could benefit the world somewhat. 
All right. Uh, next happy news story, also from Eniash, about nanofibers in mice. Yes. Uh, uh, is that at all similar to nanotech in COVID vaccines? Sadly, no. Aww. These mice are not being tracked everywhere they go, and their minds controlled. No, that was pigs. Uh, but these... Actually, that's that's true. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> but that required major surgery. They were not able to inject those pigs with these things. Well, soon. Uh, so that's right. That's the next step they're working on. Uh, the nanofibers thing. Uh, these mice who have had their spines severed, I'm assuming, for the point of the experiment, because you just don't wait around until mice get spinal cord injuries to do your experiments. Uh, but mice that had spinal cord injuries uh, were injected with these uh, nanofibers with various new coatings on them uh, and some stem cell uh, therapy in addition, and in a matter of four weeks, managed to recover use of their hind legs, uh, as opposed to the control group who stayed paralyzed. Uh, there's a, a less techie article that you can read. Uh, there's a more techie one that I couldn't fully understand, but is available for people who can. Uh, but the point is, we are getting better at treating things which used to be considered absolutely untreatable, including possibly now helping regrow people's spines so they won't be paralyzed anymore. And man, it's too bad that we didn't have that around for Christopher Reeve's time, but we're getting yeah, there. Man. I mean, they haven't done human experiments that yet, sounds but awesome. we're getting there. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully scales up to humans. Yeah, and because yeah. this is going to have to go through the FDA, look for it to be available in like 20 years after the technology is matured to the point where we could start using it on humans. I mean, you can do the thing that lots of uh, athletes do and go down to South American countries or South Asian countries and they'll do it. Fuck yes. Because they don't have the FDA. Yes, medical, medical tourism. Medical is so good. <laughs> Which reminds uh, me, I need to rewatch the Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> All right. Next story. Uh, this is also from Eniash about uh, Bill Gates. Yeah. This uh, is actually from is... someone on our Discord. The, well... More than half my uh, links are from someone on our Discord at every single week. So No, we should start crediting those people. This is from Man in White on our Discord. Thank you, Man in White. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Man in White. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bill Gates has a nuclear power company that he's uh, that he's starting up as part of his charitable works. And he has located a coal mining town in Wyoming as the site of his first power plant. Uh, it is the town of Camerer, I guess, uh, for a new natrium reactor, and construction could start by 2024, with operations slated for 2028. So we still got a ways away, and like you know, like it says, they haven't even actually started construction yet. But uh, they got a site, and it is you know new nuclear technology, which is being pursued by uh, private interests, which are the only interests that do anything anymore, because uh, the government is a complete shit show. So, fuck yeah, Bill Gates. That's awesome. Uh, here, yeah, here. That, is, that is awesome. That I love that he's opening it in a former coal town. Because, yeah. um, you know, coal towns are in real trouble. My original plan to fix America was to uh, move the primaries for uh, the various parties to whichever state has the... Um, biggest reactor grade uranium and thorium mining industry uh so that we can start doing them an obscene amount of political favors instead of the fucking corn people in iowa uh then i realized that nuclear power requires so little fuel that they wouldn't actually be like a politically potent force so that sucks but this is good yeah, uh, having the actual plants there probably, you know, create some jarbs 
Uh, so you can count on count on at least this town to probably be pro-nuclear for a while. I hope it's a very big town with a lot of electoral votes. <laughs> Where is it? Wyoming? Yes. So what do they just need to bring in like 50 people and they own the state? <laughs> <laughs> One can hope. Uh, all right. And then our final happy news story is from David. Yeah. So um, a while back we had on the very cool Stephen Kent, host of the Beltway Banthas podcast. Uh, to talk about, among other things, his upcoming book, How the Force Can Fix the World. Well, uh, How the Force Can Fix the World is no longer an upcoming book, because I am holding my copy in my hands right now, and it is very good. Um, so, yeah, uh, thank you, Stephen, for coming on our show, uh, which reminds me we need to send him our files so that he can put our uh, the sample onto his feed. Um but yeah, I it's we very... did that a long time ago. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't seen our episode come up on his feed. But uh, anyway, maybe he was embarrassed to be seen with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, the book is very good. I highly recommend you check it out. And um, yeah, all right, I think that's it. Sounds awesome. My troop deployment today is also a book review, uh, a book recommendation. So now we're going to move on to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send a soldier out onto the battlefield each week. And as always, we'll start with David. Yeah, so uh, this is a bit of a long one. I do apologize for that. I wrote it in the 10 minutes before we started recording and didn't have the time to write a short one. Uh, so, as I live in the Deep South, I think I can credibly claim to have more deeper and more recent exposure to, quote-unquote, the real America than the average gray or blue tribe rationalist. While I think a great deal about the Red Tribe is truly as bad as it's reported to be, I also think that there are some virtues of that group which are too often overlooked. As such, I'd like to offer two tentative cheers for the Red Tribe. The first cheer is that reports of bigotry and distrust of authority in the Red Tribe are greatly exaggerated. This is a somewhat lukewarm take, but for the most part, Red Tribers consider themselves non-racist. They just can't stand that darn Blue Tribe. And I think this is true. Whenever people of color or LGBT people credibly signal their Red Tribe affiliation by running for office as registered Republicans, joining FedSoc, complaining about cancel culture, or otherwise courting the Red Tribe, they're welcomed with open arms. Partly this is so that Red Tribers can, uh, who are being accused of racism by the Blue Tribe can credibly claim to have black friends, but a non-trivial part of it is genuinely that the Red Tribe isn't particularly anti-black or anti-queer, it's just that they're anti-Blue Tribe, and happily associate with members of those uh, groups they're allegedly bigoted against, as long as they're co-tribalists with those people. If you happen to know any queer gun owners, ask whether they get more grief in queer spaces for being gun owners or in gun spaces for being queer. I bet it's steep odds that they'll say the latter. As for the Red Tribe's alleged distrust of expertise, this too is partially fake news. Red Tribers distrust journalists, public health authorities, and other quote-unquote experts who are principally defined by the traits of one, being Blue Tribe, and two, being untrustworthy. I've recently taken a concealed carry class, and the Red Tribe attendees paid absolutely rapt attention to the classroom portion, far more so than any college classroom I've ever been in. I also recently took a scuba class, which was largely attended by firefighters and policemen 
aspiring to become certified public safety divers. Again, you could hear a penny drop in the classroom. And since I can hear Wes desperately wanting to exclaim, but Red Tribers only trust Red Tribe experts because they're Red Tribe, not because they're experts, the scuba class had a substitute teacher for one lecture, who was an immigrant from Latin America, spoke accented English, and taught at the nearby university as his day job. There was no distinguishable difference in how he was treated relative to the white, unhyphenated American teacher for the other classes, and I'm confident in saying they were both treated better by their students than a red-necked, southern-accented white man would be in a university sociology class. I'm sure this was partially selection bias. The individual classes are far more important to getting a scuba or concealed carry cert than they are for university degrees, but I'm willing to bet, if anyone can find a way to resolve it, that this isn't the entirety of the effect. Secondly, being in the Red Tribe is just plain less work and more fun than being in the Blue Tribe. The reddest activity I regularly participate in is sport shooting. This involves a five-minute safety briefing for people who haven't been there before or who want a refresher, then a day of having fun running around and shooting stuff. The bluest activity I regularly participate in is public BDSM events. These usually involve an irritating vetting process before you're even allowed to show up, a 10-minute safety briefing, mandatory for all participants, a 10-minute lecture on consent, very important, but again, unnecessarily mandatory for all participants, regardless of experience or good standing, and then a 5-30 to minute portion where we all go over our pronouns and or discuss the misgendering policy. And then you need to constantly police yourself during the event, lest you say anything the least bit skeptical of the Democratic Party's latest platform on pain of being shunned. Sure, my shooting friends will occasionally make a joke about some Red Tribe cause celeb with which I disagree and don't care to make a fuss about, but I'm pretty sure if I did make a fuss about it, everyone would just shrug. Meanwhile, I'm confident that if I express skepticism about medical in medical interventions for youth gender dysphoria, I would be barred for life from whatever kink venue I was currently at. For those and a few other reasons, I suggest to you that the Red Tribe is underrated and offer two cheers for the Red Tribe. All right. Thank you, David. Uh, Eniash, what do you have? Uh, mine's a bit of a downer. Uh, I, I would like everybody to consider that maybe it's not long COVID. And this is related to the previous things that we've talked about on the show, where a lot of long COVID seems to be either psychosomatic or things that come from any uh, long-term or any serious infection of either the uh, the pass- air passageways or just from uh, viruses in general. So in, in basically not a huge deal at all. Um, I have a friend who was vaccinated against COVID, uh, still caught COVID anyway, because sometimes that happens, but it was not a big deal. He was better after about 24, 48 hours uh, and went about his life, except that a few days later, he started getting uh, bad nausea uh, whenever he ate anything. And it it kept getting worse. He lost like 40 pounds uh, over the course of a couple months. And he was, I mean, he was a little overweight to start with, but by the end of this, he was like gaunt and not looking great. Uh, and everyone just assumed, oh man, long COVID. That, that kind of sucks, but you know, it's it's long COVID. It'll probably be gone in six to 12 months. And who knows? No one can say with this weird ass virus what's going on. Uh, two weeks ago, he got a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And um, I... I mean, I didn't say anything, but I, for one, really think if it wasn't for the idea that maybe it was long COVID, 
perhaps it would have been diagnosed a bit sooner or they would have taken it more seriously. I don't know. Uh, if you have weird symptoms of stuff and you've had COVID, don't immediately think it's probably long COVID. Go into the doctor, see what the problem is, because long COVID really isn't that big of a thing. All right. That sucks. Um, but thanks yeah. for bringing that to, uh, to people's attention. Yeah, I was going to have all this smug stuff about how you'd come around to my troop deployment that I was given grief about, but I can't bring myself to. Uh, for curious listeners, that was episode 29, the same one where I talk about uh, the asylum system. So uh, while you're listening to that, you can listen to David's whole thing about long COVID. All right. My troop deployment this week is, as I said, a book review or a book recommendation. In episode 35, I recommended the podcast Too Rash, Too Unadvised, which is doing a read-through of Ada Palmer's Terra Ignota series. This month, the final book in the series, Perhaps the Stars, was released, and it is amazing. I heavily recommend this series for everyone, but especially rationalists. Terra Ignota takes place in the 25th century, where geographic nations have mostly been replaced by the hive system, where people can choose which system's rules they wish to follow by joining a hive, and those are the laws that govern them. One can also choose to be a black law, which means you have no rules but the most basic ones, and you choose to take responsibility for your own protection. It largely resembles the utopian future that I hear anarcho-capitalists like David describing, albeit with a world minarchy in charge of smoothing conflicts between the hives. Now, also relevant to rationalists, the world has flying cars that can get anywhere on Earth in two hours, and the novel examines how that affects society. It also involves transhumanism, lots and lots of genderfuckery, ethics and philosophy, and how best to use world-breaking magical powers. There's even a little BDSM. So basically, it involves everything you people like to talk about. It's also written in 18th century melodramatic style, where the narrator directly addresses the reader, and occasionally the reader even answers, which I thought I would hate, but actually found really delightful. Uh, the story itself is written in first person by a criminal who has been sentenced to lifelong public service. As part of that service, the world leaders have ordered him to write an account of what happened in the days covered by the novels, as events of historical importance are happening quickly, and are revealed as the story unfolds. Uh, I cannot recommend the series highly enough, highly enough, and I hope you will all give it a try. I have not read the last book in the series yet, but I have read the first three, and they are fantastic. I strongly second this uh, recommendation. All right. Thank you, Eniash. Um, oh, ch- shit. It's a tetralogy? Yeah, that is correct. Hmm. The only thing more pretentious than a trilogy is a tetralogy. <laughs> I don't know if that's the only thing. <laughs> I mean, you could be David Spearman. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I mean, you could be mad about Jewface. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. That's our show for this week. Uh, Please follow us wherever you follow podcasts. Uh, Please leave us reviews um, wherever you can leave reviews for podcasts. Um, Subscribe to us on Substack. It's only $5 a month and you get episodes early. You get access to bonus episodes and you get access to our subscriber only Discord channel. And I come back in two weeks. Same rat time. Same rat channel. Bye. Bye.